everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of my podcast. Uh, I am excited. This this is one of my final podcasts of the 2018 year. Uh, don't know if you're listening to this around the time that I'm posting it, or maybe you're just on like some kind of, uh, you know, like a podcast binge. And so you might be checking this out even farther down the road. Uh, but, I, but I am really excited for my topic today. I just got done doing a week-long training with an incredible team of people. And it has sort of re-inspired some things inside of me that I, I typically don't talk about. And, and and here's what I mean by that is, you know, you have these things in in just like coaching, business, success, whatever category you want to file it under that that everyone's already heard before, right? It's like the cliche. Uh, so here's here's a really good example: servant leadership. Everyone has heard about servant leadership. Now, it's obviously an important topic. I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying don't go be a servant in any way, shape, or form. But when we talk about servant leadership, that is that is that is often things that people will, um, well, let me put it this way. I often see people kind of roll their eyes or groan where it's like, yeah, I know, I get it. So in this this training I was doing with this team, I was talking about this concept of trust and like, what does it mean to really trust the people you work with? What does it mean to really trust? Like, what are some of the outcomes that come from effective trust? And after it was all said and done, one of the people I was working with, he he uh, was giving me some feedback and he was like, man, this just totally blew my mind. And I said, wow, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And he said, well, you know, I'll be honest, when you first said we were going to be talking about trust, I really kind of kind of groaned internally. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, tell me more. What do you, what do you mean? And he's like, because everyone talks about trust, right? Everyone talks about some, some of these certain concepts of leadership. And it's like, oh man, you know, why are we spending more time hashing out this topic, right? Now, what kind of blows my mind about that feedback is I was also, I was working with a major logistics company Awesome company. They're doing a great job. They're around like a billion dollars in revenue. So they're not quite a Fortune 500 company, but they're they're absolutely nationwide, very successful, doing a really great job. And I was talking to their one of their HR people, and we were just kind of going back and forth. And essentially, what I was trying to do was I was trying to uh, I was trying to pitch a program to her to do some development for her leaders. And we were talking about I can't remember what the concept was, but let's just let's just stay with trust. Okay, let's just say that's the topic that I was pitching to her. And and, and typically whenever I pitch something, it's not like um, it's not like a course catalog. You know, it's not like I show up and I, I pick something and hey, let's let me tell you why this is so important. It is very consultative. And so a good example of this would be, let's say if I'm pitching trust to someone, I was talking to a local company, a restaurant and I had asked the question, "Is do, do people trust each other? And the owner of the restaurant was like, oh, yeah, totally. Of course people trust. That's Culture is not an issue here. We got that part down. We get it. We got it. Everyone trusts each other. It's great. Well, so he starts talking more. And I'm like, you know, what's been going on? And he says, well, I had to fire one of my, uh, uh, not a general manager. I, I had to fire my, um, like, lead manager, my assistant manager, like the person who was, sort of the head, uh, back of house, front of house, the, the person who worked right for the the owner of this restaurant. And I said, well, what happened? 
And he said, well, essentially, he was wanting to start his own restaurant, and I found out about it. And and I uh, also found out that he was having a lot of, of tough times with the current employees within the within the company. And what I mean by that is a lot of stabbing in the back. You know, if there was someone he didn't like, he would put them on a on a tougher shift, meaning a shift that they wouldn't make more make, make uh, much more tips on. And just like a lot of like conniving, manipulation, et cetera, you know, stuff like like that that was going on. So he's talking more about that. And then he starts telling me about two other employees who just cannot get along. I mean, they just have a tough time. Like people don't even like when they're on, when they're working, people just, they just, they have such a difficult time because these two people in particular are, they're just a struggle. Like they're just lazy. They're selfish. They are kind of just sort of the clock in, clock out type of employee. Now, as I'm, I'm listening to this person, he's also telling me about these issues about where if certain people work together, how nothing ever really gets done because there's just so much uh, inter-employee conflict, right? Well, if you're, you know, it doesn't take a, a rocket science to hear this, but uh, a rocket scientist to understand this, but as you're, as you're probably thinking yourself and what I ended up saying to him was I said, you know what, I'll be honest, it really doesn't sound like you guys trust each other. And it kind of clicked for him, which is kind of funny because, I mean, you know, the the blind spots we have, I mean, they're only blind to us. And so a lot of times it's like, oh, yeah, totally, we got that one. Really, you really don't have that. And so going back to my HR lady at this logistics company, I know I'm kind of, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place, but going back to the original story that I was telling, I have this HR person who I'm talking to and I'm talking about trust. Well, some similar things were happening in her company. And so I was saying, you know what? We really need to spend some time diving in and figuring out what does it mean to have a culture of trust and trustfulness. And she looked at me and said, you know what? I'll be really honest. I like what you're saying, but I I really, this team needs something new, something innovative, something turn of the century, something that is... uh, uh, it's going to, it's something they haven't heard before, right? And I, I ended up losing the sale basically because I, I actually, my response was, well, you know, we could call it something else, but it's still trust at its core. And it's it's really not about what's, you know, something new and flashy and fun. It's about getting back to the basics and and trust is one of the basics, and she's like, I disagree. You know, we need something fresh, insightful, whatever. And I just said, you know what? That's that's no, that's no big deal. Uh, this is what I'm what I'm suggesting. And so, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. No big deal. So it was fine. But I, my takeaway from that conversation was, I thought it was it was so it it was intriguing that this person was so caught up on. Let's not talk about the cliches. Let's just get to the new idea, the new concepts. You know, which kind of blows my mind because when you think about it, some of the most pivotal business leaders in the last decade, the people who are probably most famous, they are not people who are creating something brand new. I mean, Simon Sinek, who's a phenomenal author, speaker, two of his most famous books is Leaders Eat Last. It's the epitome of servant leadership. It's not a new concept. No, it's got a catchy title on it, right? And he has another book called Start With Why, which is just tell your tell your people why their work is important. What are they doing? What is this? How does my work contribute to the bottom line? 
these are not new concepts, right? These are not things that that have just appeared in the last five years. And it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. The reason they're called business basics is because it's 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 like if you're playing a sport, it's literally the one, two, threes before you get into anything more complex, more advanced, what have you. It's also whenever you see a sports team lose, the coach often talks about, we got to get back to the basics. We got to get to back to the, the simple things that will enable our success. Now, I know I'm speaking kind of uh, ambiguously. I'm kind of talking a little bit 30,000 foot view up in the clouds, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill this down and get really specific over the next 20 or 30 minutes or so. Because it bothers me how we have, on one hand, we have these concepts that are so basic to business, right? They make so much sense. They are so easy to understand. But when I work with companies, and, and, and I don't even mean just small companies, when I work with like a Fortune 500 company, some of the issues that they're having, it is absolutely these basic concepts, it's it's not now obviously it's on a grander scale or maybe it's like on a more complex set of circumstances right i mean you have 250 employees to navigate this with rather than maybe a team of 10 so it absolutely is it's i'm not saying it's simple but they're called basics for a reason right so here's a really good example working with a i was working with one fortune 500 company You had a set of employees who they were essentially the drivers for this logistics company. This is a different logistics company than the one I was talking about earlier. You have these drivers who the average age is like 46, 47, 48. You have some who are as old as 60 years old. And then their managers, the driver managers, are typically right out of college. So you can already kind of imagine what some of the the hiccups that are happening in this organization. You have managers who are coming out of college who they've never managed before. They have no idea how to manage. And one of the most common mistakes I see in new management is people who think that their job is to be a parent. Their job is to parent their team. Their job is to be authoritative. Their job is to micromanage. And so As you can guess, you have a team that ends up with a pretty toxic culture because you have a 60-year-old who frankly knows the ins and outs of the job better than this manager does, and the manager is chastising them, getting after them, asking them to do things that aren't realistic. Uh, A good example of that would be like you know, a driver terminal in New Jersey, and the driver's boss tells this driver to uh, go deliver a load in New York City and to be back in 45 minutes. Well, it's not going to happen. And every driver in that area knows it's not going to happen. They know you're going to need two to three hours. But the manager's never driven that route before, right? And so, like I said, they just, it's like, just get it done. Just make it happen, right? And so the driver ends up getting pretty frustrated. And I don't want to get too off message here. I'm just, I'm, what I'm, all I'm communicating is that there's some really simple concepts that for whatever reason are just so hard for certain people to understand, I remember one CEO who he uh, I was working with him and he was talking about his employees and I actually got to witness an interaction between him and his employees where he just he just flat out yelled at his employee like I mean it was almost like being belligerent it was like like almost like harassment I mean this guy was just he like lost his mind and chewed this person out over something that really wasn't a big deal 
And so the basic concept as we were talking together and as I was coaching him was, hey, you know, um, maybe if you don't yell at your employees, not only will they respect you more, but they will actually enjoy working here. And so they'll actually be more productive. They'll actually put more money in your pocket because rather than waking up feeling an agonizing burden of, oh my gosh, I can't go work for this person. You know, how do I take a two hour lunch break? How do I stay out of the office as much as possible? Instead, you'll have someone who wants to work for you. They'll want to put in the time. They'll want to be around you, right? But it's amazing how these simple concepts people don't get them. And I, I'm not even, I'm not even saying this like, I'm not saying it arrogantly. I'm not saying it like condescendingly. I'm not saying like, you know, wow, I'm so smart. Look at me. Cause even you as a listener, you know, as you're listening and hearing, don't yell at your employees, you're probably thinking, yeah, check. I got it. Easy. You know, hey, t- tell your employees what, why their work's important. Check. I got it. Hey, give recognition to your employees. Check. Yeah. Makes total sense. And yet these things as we, as they play out become so complicated and more often than not, we're finding leaders who are incapable of doing some of these simple things. And, 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 and really one of these simple things that I want to focus on today, it's, it's actually what, it's something that I've, I've been really passionate about over this last week because I've been working with, I've been working with a team of people who are younger in their early twenties and it's just night and day different with leaders who I work with who were in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And the difference is it's around this concept of identity. And that's really my message today. It's, it's if you get nothing out of my, I, I think the last 15 minutes was just my rant on people who are incapable of being leaders. If you get nothing out of today's podcast my encouragement would be that you find out your identity, that you secure your identity, you develop your identity. And I don't even mean, I want to be careful to say like your identity as a leader, because that often, that that prompt often, it leads people to think about, uh, you know, who am I at work versus who I am at home. I don't even want to make that distinction. That I didn't, I didn't want to go that, that, that route. I want to encourage you to identify your your identity as a person because that is then what's going to be exemplified when you lead. And you know, as I talk about this concept of identity, you know, right off the bat, you might there might be some listeners today who you're hearing that and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, identity, okay, what does that mean? What are we getting at? This sounds kind of cliché." And and so I want to encourage you right off the bat to not not tune me out. Not, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. But to really hone in on this. One of the biggest mistakes I see in management in general is people who are not confident in their skill sets. And they often think about or they create this persona of a leader that doesn't really match who they are. Here's what I mean by that. Take two people. Take someone who is assertive, maybe even aggressive, very extroverted, very charismatic, a doer, gets the job done. Compare that to someone who is a thinker, more feeling-oriented, more of a listener than a speaker, more of an innovative, creative type rather than a practicality person. 
someone who enjoys the big picture versus the very practical? Between these two people, who would you hire? Who would become, who, who would make the better leader? Who do you think? <laughs> now, the, the majority of people, the way they answer that question is they usually say the former is the better boss. Charisma is one of the most hired traits in people. Often because charisma has a direct link in people's minds in terms of being associated with skill and ability. Whereas introversion or um, a more of a thinking mentality, those things are often perceived in people who are typically undervalued. And the reason they're undervalued is because if you think about like a team meeting and the boss asks, what does everyone think? Well, the thinker is processing. The thinker is processing it through. The thinker is very literally thinking. They are, you know, okay, what will this lead to? What are the the implications of this decision? The extrovert is often talking about it out loud and, and he, him or her, they this person is processing it out for everyone to hear. And so the natural misunderstanding by the boss then is that the extrovert has more to offer on this subject versus the introvert who often is perceived as not having much to offer at all. So what typically happens in leadership then is you have people who, when they think about the leader that they want to become, or or let's say they've gotten into a leadership position and they're thinking about how do I simply need to lead, they often start to think about these qualities that we find in extroverts like assertiveness, charisma, um, directness, candidness. Now, these aren't bad traits. These are not bad traits at all. In fact, there's a great link between there's a great link between being assertive and being successful. And so it's not it's not bad. I'm not saying don't be assertive. All I'm all I'm saying is that when you think of the perfect leader, it's not the former over the latter. Actually, both are perfectly capable of being fully successful. In fact, sometimes the former might have a higher penchant for, for failure because there's actually a lack of substance there. You have someone who is all charisma, they're all talk, but yet they're not actually, they're not actually someone who is providing a valuable insight. And what I want you to think about today is is think about your qualities as a person. Think about your skills. Think about who you are. Think about your, your natural talents. And what I would tell you is that you have all of those things for a reason. It makes up your unique competitive advantage. So if you are more creative or you are more of an innovative type, that's a competitive advantage. It's something you bring to the table that someone else does not bring. It also means that when you fall into a leadership position, those are some of the strengths you're going to bring to the team, right? So as an innovative type, you're going to push the team to think of of new angles or new opportunities or new ideas rather than just, hey guys, get it done, but I talk more, you know, I, I obviously we could talk, we could talk plenty about, you know, go take a personality test and just be really proud of, <laughs> of who you are. And, you know, maybe put your top five qualities up on the wall or, or what was the, uh, what was the one personality test, uh, uh, uh strength finders or, or strength finders 2.0. I don't know the difference, but 
I love people who do strengths finders because they assume that everyone else has done strength finders. And so the topic gets brought up and someone says, oh yeah, I'm a woo, which woo is one of the, I guess it's one of the strengths. And it means, I think it means that you're like a, uh, not like a cheerleader, but like you bring energy. You're like the go-getter. You're like the very literally woo, you know, I mean, you're the person who makes it happen. And so it's just funny to me how people will be like, oh yeah, I'm a woo, you know, and that's, that's part of their identity and that's great. And so I'm, I'm not, I'm not even so much saying, you know, absolutely figure out your strengths and own it. Cause that's, that's definitely part of it. Right. I think what I I'd rather talk about, and I think what's more, what's more interesting to me and frankly, what I've seen be more volatile in the workplace, but also just in relationships is if we're talking about having security and identity, I think what's more engaging is the opposite. When you talk about the insecurity people have with their identity. And I want to unpack that a bit because it's, it's as you look at dysfunctional relationships, and again, I don't even really mean business. I mean like friendships. I mean um, a marriage I think about your 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 confidants, your people that you really try to get yourself around. The most dysfunctional relationships are usually rooted in insecurity in some form. So a good example of that would be like a husband and a wife who, you know, the the husband, he decides, uh, let's say he's coming home at four o'clock and he says, hey, I'm actually going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to go see one of my coworkers. I'll be home in 45 minutes. And so the wife, uh, maybe totally, uh, disapproves, gets really upset at him and decides, you know what? You must not love me or care about me like you do your friend. Uh, otherwise you'd come home first, right? This is a wife who's talking out of the insecurity of the relationship. And it's 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 not a wife to husband thing. Husbands do the exact same things to their wives. This isn't this isn't a feminine concept. This is a people concept. Is that we're we're constantly tasked with overcoming our insecurities. Very physically, these are these are times when we look into the mirror, right? And we have to make a decision on what are the things that I'm going to put mental energy on? whether my weight, my size, how something looks, my hair, et cetera. So, so there's a very physical, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's a physical illustration of this concept, but, but really I want to talk more about what's, what's internal, right? And the insecurity that we get trapped in, and especially what the most toxic companies get trapped in, it's this insecurity of who I am as a person and especially as a leader. And, and maybe a better way to understand this would be if we talk about maybe the corporate structure, like how do businesses typically operate versus what has been, what's kind of been rising up in the last decade or so and what's proving to be really effective. So typically when you talk about a business, and you talk about hierarchy, you've probably seen like an org chart at some point, or you've seen like a um, like a business tree where you see everyone's position on it. And so at the top, what position do you have? You typically have either the board or you have the CEO, right? And then below that person, you have the other C-suite officers. So you have like the COO, uh, someplace, some companies, if they're big enough, might have a CMO or a CTO or 
Um, most companies, though, are going to have a CEO and a COO if they have C-suite executives at all. And the CEO is the chief executive officer. They're making a lot of the big decisions. The chief operating officer is handling a lot of the logistics. Sometimes they handle the people side of things, uh, which, by the way, these are the two most common C-suite executive positions. And I was talking to someone the other day about, I uh, this wasn't the other day, this was actually a while back, and uh, I used to work for a company where I had a CEO and a COO, and I was telling someone outside of my company about my COO, and the person said, oh, you know, what's their position? And I said, oh, it's the COO, it's the chief operating officer. And uh, my friend goes, oh, is that like a made-up position? And I go, no, it's a, it's a real position. And he didn't believe me. He was like, oh, that must be something that just your company's doing. Now, again, every company that has a C-suite in some form typically has a COO, but for, for whatever reason, this person thought I was totally BSing him. But besides the point, you know, you have your people who are in these different positions and then uh, down the tree it goes that you have till finally you have the, you know, middle managers, you have the frontline employees, you know, and all, all that jazz. So that's the typical corporate structure. The, the irony around this structure is you would think that it's set up so that the people who are at the top can help the person who's below them and that person can help the person below them. And, and it should be a, a directed funnel where, you know, ideally you move up until finally you reach maybe even that CEO position, right? Well, when we talk about the insecurity of leadership, what actually typically happens is that people, their identity isn't grounded in who they are as a person. Their identity is grounded in their title or their position. And this is not unlike a struggle that you or I have probably had at some point in our life. You know, when we talk about the concept of identity, if I have an identity as in terms of who I am as a person, as Blake Benz, those are maybe things like um, compassionate, uh, direct, candid, sarcastic, goofy. Uh, you know, I, I can think of all these different traits that that tend to define me. Uh, empathetic towards people. You know, I, I these things that I I would hope would be true about me, right? Well, when I first got my job as a uh, executive coach my title or rather my identity became my title, right? So rather than introducing someone to myself as, hey, I'm Blake Benz, maybe instead I would say, hey, I'm an executive coach or I'm a business consultant, which as if you're, if you're not tracking with me so far, you're probably thinking, yeah, I mean, that's, those, those are things that are true about you. What's the big deal? And what's the big deal is that in life, there is a temptation to identify ourselves by our titles, our actions, our works, rather than very simply who we are as people. In fact, it's actually pretty challenging sometimes to rely on my identity as a person when it's often easier to rely on those accolades, resumes, whatever, to define who I am. In the most simplest form, you can understand this concept. Think about a quarterback for a football team who's known as the quarterback for the football team, and then he tears his ACL, or he gets benched, or he gets replaced. Now, when my identity was as this awesome quarterback, 
now who am I, right? What, what, what do I do now? It's actually why you see celebrities who go off on the deep end. They go off on a totally self-destructive path when they fall out of the limelight because their identity was in their role, their status, their stardom. And as soon as they lost it, they totally self-combusted. And I'm, I'm linking this to business because it is one of the most toxic forms of bad leadership that I've seen today. In fact, I was working with a Fortune 500 company, actually a Fortune 100 company, and I was meeting some of their their senior management and and someone and it was it it just it it just it intrigued me as I was I was saying hello to people and and my issue is I'll actually sometimes go the opposite. I'll say, "Hey, I'm Blake," and I won't say anything about myself in terms of like the title, position, what have you. And I probably need to do a better job of that. Well, these people were on the totally opposite end. And so I'm saying, I'm introducing, I'm shaking hands and someone's saying, hey, I'm the vice president of so-and-so or, hey, I'm the senior vice president of, you know, North American, you know, what have you. And, and it's, it was funny to me because I was listening to this and I was, I was thinking about how many words did it take before this person finally said their name as in like, hey, I am the vice president of blank and blank and blank. And my name is, you know, it was, it, it, it kind of, it, in some ways it kind of shocked me how people would put the title before the name, right? I mean, imagine if in, in, and I don't know, I can't see who listens to my podcast. I mean, I know I have about a three, I, I know I have about 300 people, so I can't listen. I mean, I can't see exactly who these people are, but I imagine if you don't know me, let's say, let's say next week you ran into me and you met me for the first time. I would guess it might be a little off-putting if I shook your hand and I said, hey, I'm an executive coach and a, and a business mentor and a business consultant and and I'm Blake Benz. You know, you might raise an eyebrow, right? You might be like, yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> but that is actually what I see people do, right? And so the title, the position, what have you, suddenly that becomes the the competitive advantage rather than very simply who I am as a person. So I'm not Blake Benz. I am, you know, business coach, you know, however fancy, whatever thing I can think of. Oh, and I'm Blake Benz. And this is actually more common than you would expect. You know, I mentioned the Fortune 100 company where this was happening, but you also see it, especially as you talk about dysfunction in terms of relationships and especially dysfunction in terms of culture, you know, take for example an employee who's who's not doing a great job and who goes to their boss to get help. There are some bosses out there who will say, "Absolutely, let me help you. Let me help you solve this. I want to make you successful." There's other bosses out there who will very simply say, "Figure it out. Make it happen. Just do it." And when the job is done well, that boss will very often take the credit for it. When the job is not done well, they point it back on that employee and say, well, yeah, they couldn't figure it out. They didn't have the skill set. Let's replace them with someone else. Jim Collins talks about this concept very well in his book, Good to Great, where he talks about the window in the mirror. And he says that leaders in general, a bad leader, they look in the, the mirror and they see all the great things that are happening and they point to themselves. And when things go wrong, they look out the window at their employees and they say, what's your problem? And you guys suck. Like what? 
I have bad employees, right? Which I know I know I'm making it sound like no one would ever think this, but it's actually a lot more common than you think. In fact, you've probably had a boss like this at some point in your life, right? You've probably worked for someone like this. It's actually why 90% of the time when I when someone hires me and they say I have some bad employees, 90% of the time the problem isn't the employees, it's actually them. They're actually the problem. Well, the flip side of Jim Collins' example is that a good leader, when things go great, him or her, this person will look out the window and point to all of their employees as the reason for their success, whereas the when things go wrong, this great leader will look in the mirror and say, what did I do wrong that didn't help these people? And I'm, I'm bringing this all together when I, when I let, let's go back to the corporate hierarchy, the corporate structure, you know, the typical pyramid, funnel, whatever. And what I would argue is that the best companies versus the worst companies, let's start with the worst companies. The worst companies operate on this typical pyramid model. And let me tell you why this is seen in the worst companies. It's because when people rise and they go up the corporate ladder, when they go up the pyramid, they have an insecurity about who they are as a person. And I know I'm broad brushing here. I'm not... I know you're probably thinking like, okay, so everyone in business is insecure. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that you have people who find more security and they find more value in their title and their position than they do very simply who they are as a person, right? Really good example of this, someone who once they attain the title of vice president, that person, you better believe, is never going to be less than vice president. Now, I'm not talking about promotions and demotions. I'm talking about this person's mentality in a toxic company. Their mindset is, I am a vice president and I will always be a vice president. I own a boat and I will always own a boat. If I was to ever be demoted down to a middle manager, if I was ever to ever, if I ever had to take a salary cut to lose the boat, that would, there'd be too much shame there. And actually I would rather leave this company and make a lateral move to another company than reduce myself down this pyramid. So I am a boat person and I will always be a boat person. I have a lake house and I will always have a lake house. And so you have these people who there's quite a bit of value in their identity found in this is my title, this is who I am, this is what I've accomplished. And so what ends up happening is that when the people below them very sincerely need help, you have a couple of different ideologies. You have things like, well, I did it by myself. Well, I was able to make it happen. Well, I was able to you know, X, Y, and Z. And so if this person can't do it, then I will just get rid of them and find someone else. The other ideology that you see is this sense of protection where because my identity is found in my title or position, I will do anything to protect who I am first before I think about protecting this company or protecting this team. So what you find is you find people who hoard information. You find some people who, and and here's what I mean by hoard information, 
they're unwilling to give the full details. So if you've if you've ever been in a meeting and you've asked a question and your boss has said, well, I, I can't tell you that, sorry. And you find out it was information that was totally, there was nothing incendiary about it. There was nothing interesting about it. It was just like, well, I can't, I can't tell you that. I, I, I remember actually I, one of my uh, former companies, we were thinking about hiring someone and we had let someone go and we were going to, we were going to probably bring this person back because they were just a really great employee. And so uh, I was talking with the SVP and I said, yeah, so what's the plan? Are we, are we going to bring this person back? Ooh, man, I, you know, Blake, I really can't talk to you about that kind of thing. Oh, okay, cool. And then I got into a conversation with the CEO and the same conversation came up and, and she goes, yeah, of course we are. Yeah, totally. And I go, oh, well, I, I didn't think you could tell me because of the SVP. And she goes, yeah, I don't know why he said that. And not that this person was, you know, manipulating me or, you know, I, I think it was just someone in the moment who thought, oh, I probably shouldn't mention that. But you do see it, though, in a very negative way in, in a multitude of companies where you have people who they think that their value is in what they know rather than what they can freely offer to their coworkers. In fact, I was working with one guy, I was coaching a guy, and he, in our first coaching session, he said that he was very wary of what we were going to talk about and, and just me as a person. And I, I, he's just very mistrusting. And I, I, I remember as we were talking, I, I, I said, you know, let's get it out there. You know, tell me what's going on. What's your apprehension? Like what's, what's happening? And he said, well, my last coach told me that I needed to basically help as few people as possible because if I'm open with helping people, if I share knowledge, that is going to make me replaceable. And so what ended up happening was it actually made me have these really surface level relationships with my coworkers where now, you know, I'm, I'm not trusted. You know, now people don't want to work with me. This person had very literally been given some very bad advice, right? It was, it was someone, it was, they, they were coached by someone who absolutely agreed with this concept of your value is in what you do and what you know. And if I can get even more literal, a lot of what I'm talking about, I was, I was, uh, Donnie Smith, who was the, he's the former CEO of Tyson. He was the CEO of Tyson for seven years, all the way until 2016. He inherited Tyson in 2009 when the market had just totally self-destructed. And I was having a conversation with him the other night. You know, we were having this, we were having a very, uh, I had this team out from Indianapolis and we were talking things through and, uh, it was a, a team from an, from the ag industry. And so Donnie Smith, who, uh, used to work for Tyson's retired now was really kind enough to come out and share some concepts with this team. And I was just listening and just it just kind of amazed me some of the concepts he was talking about and how how this very concept, how it was exemplified in Tyson and has been seen in Tyson even over these last few years. Now, if you're not familiar with Tyson, it is if you eat chicken nuggets, uh, at any given point, you've probably had a Tyson chicken nugget. If you go to McDonald's and order chicken nuggets, those are Tyson chicken nuggets. And so he was talking about when they inherited Tyson in 2009, when he inherited it as a CEO, I mean, they were about to self-destruct. I mean, the economy was terrible. In fact, they were $30,000 away from Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Which a lot of people don't know that. I mean, can you imagine a time today where where Tyson, we... I mean, it's it's 2018 right now. Can you imagine? I mean, it'd be 10 years later. 
us saying, yeah, remember when Tyson was around? What? (laughs) So they were $30,000 away from chapter 11 bankruptcy. And when Donnie Smith inherited this company, the long story of it is that he took the company to five record-breaking years, more revenue than they've ever had before. And when he talks about how he did this, he starts with this conversation of culture, but especially this corporate pyramid that he essentially flipped on its head. And he talked about, you know, one of the biggest problems with Tyson and the fact that they weren't getting the results they needed was because there were so many managers, leaders, bosses, whoever, who they had their their identity in their titles, positions, what have you, rather than having an identity of trust, an identity of teamwork, relationships, what have you, all the the cheesy cliche stuff that a lot of leaders that a lot of bosses kind of roll their eyes at, even though when their company is totally self-destructing. These are the things that Donnie started to incorporate. And I mentioned about 10 minutes ago, you know, there's really two structures that we see in business. There's the typical corporate structure. The other structure that worked well for Tyson and brought them out of bankruptcy was when you flip this pyramid on its head and now the CEO Their job is no longer to lord over the staff. They're now at the bottom and their philosophy is how am I removing obstacles from the employees that I'm serving? And now my identity is less in my title. My identity is more in the fruit that I'm producing in other people, meaning the people that I'm actually making successful. It sounds super cheesy. It sounds totally cliche. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Servant leadership, I got it. And yet we see a major Fortune 100 company break their own revenue records five out of the seven years that Donnie Smith was a CEO. And what's been shocking is that after Donnie Smith retired, the new guy who came in who was like, I don't believe any of this crap. I don't believe in the servant leadership stuff. Let's get back to the the typical corporate structure you see the stock value has totally collapsed. And that person is no longer around. That person only lasted 18 months on the job. And now the new CEO is like, yeah, let's get back to that Donnie Smith stuff we were talking about. So there's a merit in understanding your value as a leader. And 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 if anything, if you've if you've been listening this long, I I don't I don't know if this is making sense or not because, you know, typically whenever I record a podcast, I I usually have, I I do it all in one take, but I typically have a set of notes that I have very important points that I want to make sure I hit and I want to make sure it makes sense. But in this case, man, I just, I just turn on the microphone and I just, I've just been talking, right? And so I, I hope this is making sense, but, but what I want to encourage you is to, if, if you want to be great, if you want to be great in the sense of a leader who has impact, a leader who has influence. You know, if you want to be remembered in a way that is actually tangible and valuable, your value as a leader is not in what you do or in your title or even, frankly, what you've accomplished. Your value in a, as a leader, it's coming to terms with who you are as a person And using that as your competitive advantage to impact as many people as possible. I very literally mean that because 
Because when you talk about impact, when you talk about legacy, when you talk about what you're remembered for, it's actually never in the titles or positions. I mean, tell me about, tell me who's the CEO of General Mills. Tell me who's the, who's the, the president of Ronald McDonald House. You have no idea because it's not the title that matters, right? But when you, when you talk about people who've made an impact on you, you can very easily point to the people who are very tangible, who are close to you, right? In the same way, I'll never forget working with a guy who was the GM of an Audi dealership. And he was talking and kind of bragging about all the cars he had sold over his lifetime. That's what his identity was in. His identity was very literally in a numerical amount of cars sold. When you ask who is, let's just say his name's Craig. If I was to ask who is Craig, he would point to, you know, I don't know, 80,000 cars over his lifetime or however many cars that would be. If you're listening and you're a car salesperson, you're probably either thinking, but, you know, that is totally an astronomically stupid number or, you know, wow, how'd you know that? I just guess. I just, I just said some random number. Well, so his identity is in that number of cars sold. And so the hard conversation becomes, Craig, no one cares. No one cares how many cars you've sold. You know what I'm saying? It's like in the quarterback who, who was the homecoming king and now he works for a gas station and he still talks about, you know, and, and Donnie made a joke like this, but you know, you're 40, let it go, move on. You know, so we, we find ourselves often putting value in things that we want to define us, but that have no substance whatsoever. And so going back to my original point of what I was talking about, whoever you are as a person, it's time to get some security around that. You know, your competitive advantage is very literally your unique assets that make you very literally who you are. Those are the things to hedge your bets against. Those are the things to use whenever it comes to making an impact, right? And so me talking about myself, my competitive advantage actually isn't my title. I'm a coach. There's a million coaches out there. My competitive advantage, what I find my identity in is my desire to see people successful, which not, you'd be shocked, not all coaches see it that way. There are some coaches who the worst part of their job, as they would say it, is the actual coaching piece. I know it sounds it sounds nonsensical, but that's the case. And so that's something for me to find my value in. I like to listen to people. I like to encourage people. I'm a strategic thinker. I'm a doer. And really finding my security in the things as to, in in terms of who I am, that will make me the most successful, productive form of me. I can't be somebody else, right? I can't make my identity be what someone else is, right? I remember I had a boss who, he was very direct, very candid, very abrasive. In fact, he would make people cry. And that's, I mean, that's how tough he was. And so naturally, when I became a leader, I thought that my value, this sounds totally stupid, but I thought that my value as a boss was totally directed, it was correlated with the number of people I had made cry. And so if I wasn't brutalizing somebody, I was being ineffective as a leader. And it wasn't until later that I figured out, you know what, and, and I am a candid, assertive person, but I'm not that brutalizer. And it wasn't until I realized, you know what? Somebody could never shed a tear around me and that would be okay before I finally started getting results in my leadership. I say all of this 
to encourage you to find security, find your identity, and very literally the person you were created to be and the impact you can be having on other people. The things that will naturally tempt you and attract you in terms of your identity will be things like title, position, results, um, money. You know, I have my identity as a millionaire. I have my identity as X, Y, and Z. These are things of no substance. And the scary thing is that if your identity is in those things, you will fight to protect those things even when they are not good for you. Even when they're not good for the people around you. Even when they are not ultimately productive for your legacy. And not only will you protect them, but more importantly, when you lose them, you'll self-destruct. You'll self-combust. I mean, seriously, you will. That's where, that's that's why you hear about someone in their 40s who has a midlife crisis. Because their identity is found in what they do rather than very simply, I am who I am and that's who I want people to meet. One of my all-time favorite values is authenticity. And so whenever I meet people, I want them to know exactly who I am. I don't want to give them some BS. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to try to be showy. I want them to know this is who I am. And to do that well, it takes me having a firm, secure foundation in my own identity before I can actually show that to them. More importantly, if I'm going to lead people well, I have to know very clearly who I am. More often than not, I have to be somebody as a leader who I'm willing to flip the funnel, flip the pyramid on its head and serve people well rather than using people to affirm whatever the heck identity I've dreamed up, right? I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been encouraging. Uh, I I know it was probably all over the place because again, I'm just, I've just been talking here. Uh, I hope you feel encouraged. You know, if you take anything away from this, it's find your identity and very literally who you are as a person and how you can use that to impact other people well. Don't listen to the noise. Don't listen to the attractiveness of all these other things that the world, our culture, whatever will tell you are the things to to hit your wagon to. Because again, ultimately, they're superficial and they just, they will not lead to real impact. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. I will catch base with you, I think, in 2019. Uh, and if maybe not, maybe I'll, maybe I'll feel feisty and I'll put together another podcast before the turn of the year. But having said that, uh, it's been a pretty awesome year, really happy with how my business is growing and developing. Um, again, appreciate all of you listeners, uh, feel free to engage with me. You can email me at Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to engage with you. Uh, you're welcome to reach out, ask me a question, get my insight, or if you just want someone to talk to, heck, as you could probably guess, I like to talk. Uh, So feel free to reach out, engage, and I'm looking forward to this holiday season, and I hope it is special for you as well. Uh, I'll catch you later, guys. See ya.